Amen. Okay, take your Bibles. Go to James chapter 3. While you're turning there, while you're turning there, I want you to look at the people next to you, and I want you to tell them what your favorite thing about the month of May is. All right? So talk amongst yourselves while you turn to James chapter 3. What is your favorite thing about the month of May? Some of you really like May. <laughs> All right. May is one of the most important months of the year, in my opinion. Not the least of reasons is which this. That didn't make any sense grammatically, but you followed it, didn't you? May is the month that my bride and I celebrate our anniversary. We just celebrated, I know, 28 years last week. Now, let's give credit to whom credit is due. It is not me that deserves a round of applause. This patient, faithful, very quick-witted woman um, has put up with me for 28-plus years. I am grateful. I am thankful. And if I look this different now than I did on our wedding day, fast forward 28 years, I'm going to be like this little tiny guy and she's gonna look the exact same yet again so May is a fantastic month because it's our anniversary May is a fantastic month that is traditionally when we take our family vacation we cheat I'm gonna admit it up front we cheat why do we take our family vacation in May it is cheap so cheap we were looking at the very same place we were staying this week and I'm not exaggerating I know Sometimes I might exaggerate a little. This is no exaggeration. The same place that we are staying, stayed this last week, I think it was the first week of August, it is almost four times as expensive. Yeah. I know a good deal when I can find it. So does my wife. That's why she's been married to me for 28 years. Now, um... We love family vacation. We go to Ocean City, New Jersey. We got down there this last week. I worked on my tan. Can you tell? Um, and uh, the cool part about it is, here's the other part about it. Not only is it cheap, there's nobody else there. Particularly because the wind was blowing about 45 miles an hour. The water was about 42 degrees and had ice cubes, so that was cool. Um, but it was a fantastic week. We had a great time. One of the other things I really like about May, which is really ironic because I am not a gardener at all at all my gardening ability really comes down to honey where do you want me to move this pile of dirt okay but may this we came back from vacation and there they were my favorite flower in the garden the paninis which i know they're not paninis but that's what i call them because they're like peonies 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 paninis just go paninis these things burst from the ground like this giant bud on top, and then they do the coolest thing any flower has ever done. They explode everywhere, right? 
Oh, you haven't enjoyed a panini like I have. I love our, our paninis. My gardening skills come down to, this was actually, I had to ask my wife again because I really messed it up. She had this, this creepy, crawly, viney thing that she had put on our fence. And um, I went out to one day, and the thing attacks me every time I try to get my truck because it's right next to the driveway. So it's like, it's like um, uh, what's the movie? I can't remember the movie. But it's like one of those movies where the vines come up and grab your leg. Oh, it's almost like Star Wars does that, right? The thing comes up, grabs your leg, tries to pull you down. That's what this thing, it's called wisteria. Not to be confused with listeria. Very different thing I found out. That's my gardening. We, we, we have this other uh, tree, bush, plant thing in the back. It's become a tree. It's huge. And when we first moved in, we had absolutely no idea what it was. Even after a full season, with, with the leaves coming on it, we could be like, well, I don't know. So we, we talked to our neighbors who had lived there for a long time. What kind of tree is it? They're like, we're really not sure. We think it might be this. It could be pear. It could be crabapple. Could be, we're not really sure what it is. We asked people who are very knowledgeable in that area. Google. We asked Google. We took pictures of it, did the app thing, like take a picture of the leaf, it's going to tell you what kind of tree it is. And every time we did, it was like, sorry, we don't know. And so finally, uh, one summer, uh, after the thing bit my bald head while I was mowing it again, so again, great advantage of being bald, and nothing to protect, so I'm trying to mow underneath it, and the branches are just, I'm like, forget it. So I do this hard trim on it, right? And I wipe out the bottom of it. Well, come to find out, that's what I had been waiting for all these years. And the next season, these wonderful buds appeared, and we ended up with apples all over the ground. So now instead of it biting me, my head when I'm mowing, now I get to chop up apples with a lawnmower every time I mow. We didn't know what kind of tree it was, but now we're absolutely positive it is definitely an apple tree, and that's what James is talking about to us today. The evidence of what is in you will come out in your relationships. And he's going to talk about two different kinds of wisdom. And he starts it off, I love the way he starts, who here is wise and understanding among you? And it's almost like a trap. It's one of those pastor things. So, so who here likes lollipops? And if it's your first time in church, you're like, oh, I like lollipops. And everybody else is like, it's a trap. James is like, who here among you is wise and understanding? I am. And everybody's like, oh, you fool. How do you tell if they're wise? I think in our culture today, it's like, look at the diplomas hanging on my wall. Let me sit down and, and, and show you how to do this incredibly complicated calculus problem. Here's my resume. This is all the things, places I've been, things I've done, organizations I have led, accomplishments that I have seen, successes that are attributed to me. Let me explain to you the nuances of all the theological terminology that you may come across today. Let me sit down and explain to you the the financial structure of the corporation, or even better, the debt limit of the country, which I don't, still don't understand. But let me make sure I lay this out for you so I can show you how wise and filled with understanding I am. And James says, no, that's, that's not how you demonstrate wisdom. How you demonstrate wisdom, verse 13, by your good conduct, you should show your works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. You will illustrate the wisdom that is inside of you. You will show it. You will demonstrate it with what he calls, uh, this translation translated, uh, translated as good conduct. That word good is a wonderful word. And some of, our, some of our people here are actually, this Greek word is the foundation of their name. The Greek word is kalos. That's where we get the name kala from. 
If your name is Kayla, what it means is good, fitting, appropriate, beautiful. So this isn't talking necessarily, although the word can mean this. There's another word that's far better to use in this situation, um, uh, argon, which talks about uh, the, 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 the morality of work, the morality of good deeds. This is actually talking about the beauty and the preciousness of them, the, the fitting nature of these good deeds. James says, what I want you to do is if you are filled with wisdom, I want you to demonstrate, show the beauty of that wisdom and this, this, this beautiful relationships that you uh, engage in, that you uh, create these relationships and interactions that happen in and around you. And what's going to happen is people are going to be able to look at you and go, what kind of fruit is on the ground? Well, that's what's inside of you then. You're going to know by the fruit. What James is trying to tell us this morning, very simply, is this. Wisdom of real faith isn't ultimately seen in intellectual accomplishments. It's ultimately seen in relational accomplishments. He gives us two pictures of wisdom. He starts in in verse 14. He says this, if you have bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. This is, this is worldly wisdom. This is not wisdom that comes from God. This is characterized by bitter envy. It's seeing what other people have and wanting it for yourself. Selfish ambition. It's seeing yourself as deserving of anything that you want. See, this earthly wisdom, this godly, godless wisdom, is seen when you live a life that's uh, about the advancement and celebration of you. Now, no matter how amazing you think yourself to be, no matter how awesome you tell yourself you are when you walk away from the mirror in the morning, no matter how many times you can reach back and pat yourself in the back, if you think that life is about you, you aren't wise. You're a fool. Because the more life becomes about you, the more miserable of a human being you are. But here's the biggest problem. You ready? Our hearts want to be the point of everything. I want to be the point. You want to be the point too, don't you? Be honest. You know, I want to walk into my house after a long, hard day at work, and I want to be the point. I want to come in and sit down and be like, I've had such a long, hard day, and I want my wife, who, who honestly has had her own long, hard day at work. But I want to come in and be like, I've had such a hard day at work, and I want her to look at me like, oh, baby doll, it's going to be okay. I'll take care of you. I know you've had a tough day. Here's your favorite food. We're not going to do anything difficult tonight. We're not going to make any plans. Uh, the kids, they're gone. <laughs> Don't ask questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, but you know, we, we put them away, okay? We put them away. Um, but don't worry, babe. Don't worry, babe. Babe, babe. I know you had such a hard day, and you know, this is about you. So it's your favorite meal. It's me. It's us. It's sitting here. You want to put a game on. You want to sleep to a movie. What, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you want to do? I'm just, I just want you to be happy. To, that's what I want. I'm going to be honest. I want that. I do. I want, it, I, I, I want to be the point. I, I want that when I go to the grocery store, don't you? I do not know for the life of me how I find a way to pick the worst line every time. It's it's a joke in my family. It literally is. If if my wife is going to pick, it's like, you just pick, because if I do it, we know what's going to happen. We we might as well just camp out, because we're going to be here a while. 
Because this woman is going to come up with like 42 children who are asking for 100 things, distracting her the whole time, and she's trying to scan three cartfuls of food. And I'm going to stand behind her, and instead of being empathetic and be like, this woman, she has got it together. I'm like, can we get this moving? I mean, I have no place to go. But I want myself, I want to be the point. I want to be the point on the road. Would you just get out of the left lane already? And you know what, if you feel convicted, I'm going to blame the Holy Spirit for that, so you get out of the left lane, all right, But It's about me. I want life to be about me. And then every commercial we watch on television is telling us it is about us, right? There's no room for suffering. There's no room for loss. There's no room for pain. We've got the pill for all of that. We will fix it all because your life is supposed to be wonderful, perfect, without difficulty, so that way you live a life of happiness and comfort where every desire you've ever even had is met because it's about you. I don't have time to unpack this part. There's a philosophical and a logical problem with that. Life can't be about you if it's about you or if it's about you. Or if it's about you. Life can't be about all of us. And so what ends up happening, we're being told and believing the lie that life is about me. What, but everybody's being told the same lie. And so what you have in our culture today is this disintegration and implosion as everybody tries to get what they think they deserve. It's not just belongings. It's not just relationships. We do the same thing with God himself. Our culture will say, if there is a God, then he is certainly out there wondering how to make me happy because it's all about me. Now, you know that story. You've read that story. You've probably even told that story. It's actually a children's story. Walking along the beach one day, minding my own business, enjoying the crash of the waves, seeing the piles of shells and seaweed and driftwood. And, and in the middle of it all, I see this thing shining. And so I bend over and I pick it up, and lo and behold, it's a lamp. It's a little dusty, a little cruddy, a little rusty. i got to dust it off a little. And so I oh, shine, and poof, out comes the genie. And he says, hey, 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 because you found me, I am your genie. I exist to make your life easier with three easy wishes. What's your first wish? The problem is, that's how we view the God of the Bible. That ain't him. This entire life, this entire world is not about you. That's earthly wisdom. It's, it's, oh, it's stupid stuff. Well, God just wants me to be happy. Really? You've got a Bible right there in front of you. Many of you have your phones with Google access. So go ahead. Why don't you Google it? Tell me where in the Bible it says God wants you to be happy. One verse. Just one verse. That's earthly wisdom. That's not from God. It's anchored in, in the unholy. Verse, verse 15 tells us that, right? 
verse 15. It says, such wisdom does not come down from above. It is earthly. It is unspiritual. It is demonic. It doesn't consider eternity. It considers the here and now because it's all about you. And if it's all about you, there's no more important moment than right now because all of my choices, all of my decisions, all of my outcomes have got to play themselves out within this, this, this somewhat measly 75 to 85 years I get here on earth because that's earthly wisdom says that all, all that matters is going to happen right here. So when you make decisions... It's not based on things that are to come. It's not based on th- people that generations or, or making God happy for eternity. It's based on here and now. That's why you see the incredible amount of foolish debt that people carry on their credit cards. Because what they want is to purchase what they think is going to make them happy right now. All right, hold on. Got to ask this question. Any of you ever thought, you know what would make me happy? A, a, a. Point A, if I get A, that will make me happy, right? Uh Uh-huh, cool. And then what happens when you get it? You know what would really make me happy? B, B would be really happy. I mean, I'd be so happy. I'd be just, cool, I got it. You know what would make me really, so you don't know what would make you happy, but you're out there with your credit card, like, cha-ching, 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 it's going to make me happy. There's a laziness inside of us when we live according to the present day without a mind to the future and eternity. There's a laziness because why would I waste my 75 to 85 years working on this relationship with my spouse, with my brother in Christ, with my family, when I could just find another one? I only have so much time. See, this wisdom that James is talking about is earthly. It says he, it's unspiritual. It means it doesn't listen to the Spirit's prompting. It doesn't listen to the Spirit's leading. It doesn't enable or it doesn't allow the Spirit's power to enable us as we make choices and decisions. It completely shuts the Holy Spirit out altogether. That's not godly wisdom. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. And finally he lands and says it's demonic. It's based on lies. The lies that we believe about the nature and character of God, lies that we believe about our own value, lies that we believe about how life should be lived. You know, it it, it comes down to this. People will say this, and when they say it, you want to take like four steps back. My way is better than God's. There's no truth. It's just my truth. That's demonic. They're accusing the creator God to not have it right. I'm just going to do it my way. Not how, what you've suggested, God. That's demonic. James condemns this worldly wisdom. But he doesn't condemn it just because of what lies at its heart, right? Not just because it's earthly, not just because it's unspiritual, not just because it's demonic. But he also condemns it because of what it leads to. Look, look with me at verse 16. This wisdom, where, where there is envy... And selfish ambition, there is disorder, and every evil practice. This this worldly wisdom, this false wisdom, leads to disorder, which is rebellion and confusion, and every evil practice, every bad practice, every kind of wickedness wickedness that is is possible. So so this, this false wisdom produces anger, 
bitterness, strife, resentment, conflict. And what this false wisdom is doing is damaging the people who stand around you in your aura. They're being damaged. They're being damaged because the only way for you to win, when you have bitter envy and selfish ambition, the only way for you to win, other people have to lose. You, 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 okay, I don't, for those of you that are guests here, love that you're here. My name's Frank, by the way. Nice to meet you. Um, I've been yelling at you for about 10 minutes, thought I'd introduce myself. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't talk about politics. So don't be afraid when you hear me start this. It ain't going in where you think it's going to go, okay? This whole concept is what has led to the modern political uh, strategies in America. Let me explain. If I'm a politician and I'm running for office, I can't just stand up in front of a crowd and tell you what I'm for. I can't just stand up and say, this is my character, this is what I believe, this is what I am for. I must... Mention my opponent, not by name, because that would give him extra special time, right? You don't want to give him any time. But I want to mention my opponent and his beliefs and dismantle them, destroy them, crush them, stomp on them. Because in that moment, I'm not building myself up. I'm pushing him down, but it still gives us some space in between, so it makes me appear like I'm standing a lot higher than he is now. That's our po political strategy, right? Here's the problem. It's not limited to just politics. If I just remind him of all the times that he's been wrong, if I just point out each time that she's failed me in the past, if I can bring up his greatest weaknesses regularly, if I remind her of all of her insecurities, Here's the sickness of our own hearts, folks. That's the thinking that goes on in the head of a man and a woman when they're having an argument that is really about nothing. But they've got to win that argument. So I'm going to squash the wife of my youth. I'm going to clobber my groom. I'm going to watch them wilt because then I'll just stand a little higher on my pedestal. This false wisdom about bitter envy and selfish ambition does great harm to other people when I try to claim that the world revolves around me. And when you're mowing and you start chopping up apples, You've got yourself an apple tree. When you start to see your relationships disintegrate, when people are consistently telling you that you are arrogant, angry, unhelpful, or divisive, when the echoes that keep coming back to you are that you have a critical spirit, when almost all of the relationships that you have at one time held dear are marked with frustration and unhappiness, hey, you've got yourself an apple tree. James says there's another way. 
Look at verse 17. Wisdom from above is pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who, who cultivate peace. I don't have a whole lot of time, and if those, this is your first time listening to me, get ready. I can talk really fast. Here we go. Real wisdom isn't marked by ambition. It's not a desire status. It's marked by what verse 13 calls humility. Let me go back to that. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness. That same word is humility that comes from wisdom. It's marked by humility. And what you start to see is the fruit of that humility in the relationships that you have. That first fruit is, it is pure. That, that word means a straight line, unbent. That thing just goes straight no matter what. In your relationships with other people, you, you are consistent. You're going to continue to, to, to hold the line. You're going to fix your eyes on Christ and nothing but Christ. That's a, a massive contrast to the, the people with false wisdom. They're, they're not marked by purity or a, a straight line. Instead, they're marked by a willingness to cut corners in order to get an advancement. They're, they're, they're marked by a willingness to, to overlook integrity, to, to make some sketchy choices, all in an effort to gain something for themselves. But James says that that's not godly wisdom. Godly wisdom has a, a, a fruit that falls right off of it that looks like it's pure. It has a fruit that is peace-loving. I, I need to be really careful here. Peace-loving. That means you seek to make peace. You don't seek to keep peace. That's a hard thing to understand, so I've got to try to make sure I differentiate that carefully, okay? When it's about keeping peace, that means you won't do anything to create in another person uh, an angst. That is, that is the fear of man coming out of you when you're trying to keep peace. I want to make sure, oh, everybody's got to be happy. Everybody's got to be happy. Everybody's got to be happy. No, this is about making peace. That means you do the hard, right things of dealing with confrontational issues. You do discipline in order to see reconciliation no matter what they call you or say about you. That's what it means to love peace. You're constantly behaving in such a way to bring reconciliation. So it's gentle. A Christian who's marked with godly wisdom is marked by gentleness, a humility, a, a humbleness. And they don't make demands on other believers out of a position of arrogance. False wisdom, instead of being gentle, will get loud and obnoxious and argumentative and make accusations. Why? Well, because they are, again, it's about selfish ambition. They're trying to put themselves first. And so the louder they yell, the more accusations they make, the more they control you. It's about putting themselves first. I, I, I don't like this word. It's in the Christian Standard Bible translation. It says compliant kind of a, a goofy word. Let me, let me <clears throat> explain that word just so you understand what he's talking about here. That word means open to persuasion or reason, willing to yield or to listen. So, so here's the picture that he's painting. Somebody who's marked with a godly wisdom is not going to stand there like this. I have it all figured out. Don't waste your breath. That's not godly wisdom. Godly wisdom will listen and respond to reasonable requests. True wisdom is reasonable. True wisdom doesn't cut you off three words into a sentence, making a perfect, perfectly reasonable 
uh, request. It's going to, to listen. Now, now, true wisdom believes our goal is perfection in doctrine and in theology, but it also understands that our three-pound brain can't possibly have all the answers, so we're going to continue to learn and be lifelong learners and continue to listen. There's a huge contrast between godly wisdom and its willingness to listen and false wisdom. Because false wisdom, as it tries to self-promote, can't possibly admit weakness. I can't possibly admit that I need to learn something. That somebody else has the answers that I may need. But godly wisdom comes in and says, I know some things. I'm fairly confident about other things. And then there are some things I'm perfectly dumb at. Let's talk. That's godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. Full of mercy. My goal is to look out for other people the same way that God looked out for me. So two weeks ago, we talked about the illustration uh, that James uses. And he brings up two Old Testament characters. And I find it fascinating that these two Old Testament characters are, the char- are two characters that God worked with specifically. And the, the first one was Abraham. Abraham. Now, so let me ask you a question. When it came to God's promise in Abraham's life, what, 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 did, what, what did Abraham provide? What, what did Abraham bring to the table and be like, there, all good, nothing. He was old, he was past the age of being able to conceive a child, and God said, you're going to have a child, and it's going to have nothing to do with what you can produce. It's going to have everything to do with what I can produce. See, that brings a humility. Then he brings up Rahab. So what did Rahab, the prostitute, yeah, that's what she was. What did she do to deserve God's mercy? Nothing. The true child of God who is living in the wisdom of God understands that everything they have has been given to them. And then looks for opportunities to give it to other people. Full of mercy, full of good fruits. You've heard the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those things should begin oozing out of you as you pursue godly wisdom. Now, let me be abundantly clear. It's not saying that you're an expert in all of them or all of them are equal strength. It means, though, that in each and every one of those categories, you are seeing a, a consistent growth. Although in some of them, it might be one step forward, two steps back sometimes. But there's a trajectory. They're unwavering, they're impartial, without pretense, without prejudice. I'm going to be really clear and really honest. There are some people who it's a lot easier to sit down with and be like, okay, I'm supposed to give you the benefit of the doubt, so let's do this. Sorry, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And then there's some people who are like, I ain't got time for you. And James says, no, everybody deserves truth to be applied to them in the same way. Without pretense, without hypocrisy, means it's being sincere. You're not playing games in front of some people in order to gain a standing. So, so that, that was a lo- just a lot of boof right at you, right? James is like, so who among you is wise and understanding? And now at this point, sitting in front of James, you're all like, I ain't raising my hand. You know why? He's going to look at my life. Well, that's what real faith is. What fruit is seen in your life? Have you, have you humbled yourself and admitted there's absolutely no reason that the great King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has welcomed you into his family? Have you, 
Have you understood that you are a sinner separated from God and unable to do anything about that separation on your own? And that while you were sinning, rebelling against him, fighting to get the honor that only he deserves, he chose you to be his child, to adopt you into his family. And so, so, so from that standing of humility, they cry out to God for wisdom. Call for insight. Look for it like silver or gold, and he is going to give it to you. And when you receive it, live like a person who's been given everything but deserves nothing. What kind of tree is it? What kind of fruit's laying in your yard right now? Father, thank you for mercy. I say that because because I am a wicked sinner who even as I preached, even as I spoke, even as I read your word, even as I stood here in front of these wonderful people, I was made incredibly aware of my sin. Father, I pray that in mercy you would forgive me a sinner. Thank you for the beauty of forgiveness. Thank you for the reminder of forgiveness. Thank you for the gift that you've given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. The fact that his death, burial, and resurrection has covered the cost of all my sin, past, present, and future. Lord, I ask that we would be a people who remember where we've come from. That we would live like everything's been given to us, even though we've deserved nothing. It's in Christ's matchless name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?